Welcome to Word is Truth. It is 2-6-2022, and we're continuing where we left off uh, with the thought of the week and prayer. And here we have the thought of the week, entitled, Back to Basics. Sometimes I wonder someone, I'm sorry, let me start over again. Sometimes I encounter someone who denies that we are eternally secure in our salvation. They unknowingly violate a basic doctrine to come to their conclusion. Many times I point out the violated doctrine and they quickly reply, I already know that, and why are we talking about that? What they may not know is eternal security is built on the basic teachings of salvation in the Bible. Maybe it is their understanding of grace or sin or spiritual death or propitiation or righteousness and justification or the nature of God. If these things are not properly understood, then the understanding may not be there for eternal security. Of course, we could simply believe God when he tells us that we shall never perish, but that goes against human logic and is thought to be too good to be true. In many ways, they are like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. That's from Luke chapter 24, verse 25. A denial of eternal security is a denial of basic Bible doctrine. If you think your salvation can be lost, Present your reasons for believing as you do. Will God fail or will you fail? If it is you, what is the failure on your part? Who does your salvation ultimately depend on, you or God? If you haven't taken the time to think through these issues, I recommend doing it now. Or, after all, it is a matter of life and death. And there is our thought of the week. And I would just like to add a short commentary to that. Basically, once I began to unlearn the doctrine of men that I had heard in so many churches about salvation being work-oriented and possibly lost, and instead I focused with humility on the doctrines of God, the simple gospel of eternal salvation by grace through faith became so profoundly amazing and biblically sound, that I just could not turn back, and I knew that I was hearing from the spirit of truth. And as far as eternal salvation is concerned, I'd take a look at John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30. When Jesus is speaking, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And that is my commentary on the thought of the week, and now Doug will offer us prayer. Thanks, Thank you. Thanks, Dwight. We're going to let Dave do the prayer. Go right ahead, Dave. Does anyone have any special prayer requests they have? 
Okay, so we will open we we'll open up with prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful, Lord, that you've given us this opportunity to listen to your word, Father. As we listen to your word, Father, we ask you to open up our eyes, Father, so those who are blinded, Father, can see your glorious grace in the gospel, Father. Father, we ask you, Lord, to pray for those who are under the sound of my voice, that they may get to know you better, Father, through the Spirit, Father, and may, you, they, may the Spirit teach them as truth as you are, Father, as you are one, as we be one also within you, Lord. Father, we pray for those who are looking for some spiritual guidance, Father, to get to know you better, Father, so that they can see your glorious grace. And so we can also be focused, Father, on you, Lord, in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And these things I ask, Father, and all the other blessings in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dwight. Appreciate that. Well, we are going to get underway. Uh, we have a verse before us this uh, afternoon. It's a small verse. Um, verse 7, John seventeen seven is where we are. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. So we're, we're going to poke into that today. We, you, have, you should have notes in your notes as Jesus continues to care for the founding members of the church. He explains their understanding is now clear. They knew they were part of something soon to take place. Their calling and their understanding then is confirmed by the fact that the church has survived, quote, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. That's Matthew 16, 18. The disciples still had much to learn. Quote, but, this, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And even though these things were said to this founding group, it is also true for us. You know, it is a progressive understanding as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, so all of, all of those things... Uh, are part of the Christian experience, the, the, the journey that we're on to come to know uh, the deep things of God. So we're seeing the disciples as we're s stepping in their sandals, getting a chance to see how they interacted with the Lord Jesus Christ and how they grappled with this new information that was not according to their culture or what they had learned in previous ages and uh, what their forefathers had learned. It was new to them, and they had to grapple with it. So we're going to just break this down into two phrases here. Now they know. So the disciples know. They did not always know but uh, what was required at the present time, but they understood. Now, so whatever... So what we don't have in this context is what the Father asked Jesus as part of the work that he came to do to, uh, to, to let the disciples know. Like, what did he need to inform them of? What was the extent of what the disciples needed to know from the Father's perspective? So we could know what Jesus did and what he says. And Jesus thinks that what they knew was sufficient. 
obviously. And we'll get to that point. I think that's a point later on. I think that's point C. But um, we don't really know what the father's requirement was other than to derive that from what Jesus said, that now they know, Father, I told them what you told me to tell them. They understand. And, you know, so it is a good understanding to know that whatever it was, and we can realize how fragile the disciples were. And it wasn't like they were just strong in the faith and, and all of this. They were not. At the beginning of uh, the, fa the, the foundation of their thinking, it was a bit clouded, right? They didn't know. But guess who really uh, came on the scene to help them out? It was the spirit of truth. I mean, if it were depending on the disciples leading and guiding and all of this, oh, I think we probably would have failed. I think the gates of hell would have prevailed against us. The disciples and their fragility, well, that was not the question. The question was that God, the Holy Spirit, was in control and leading this thing. And did he do a good job, we could ask. And I always point to the fact that we're here today. We're standing here today talking about the very things that Jesus told us would be a part of our experience be a part of our spiritual dynamics and we are enjoying uh, the benefits and the assets provided us in this age. So when we say now they know, well the disciples came to a certain point of knowledge that satisfied the Father and the Son. We know it, we know that it was enough. We, we can know that. By looking back we can know that. So point B, as we learn, the finished work of Christ included the preparation of the disciples for the new dispensation. And we get all that from John 17, 4 through 8. When we read that context, we, we get that information. It is not a surprise that the finished work of Christ includes this. Now I wonder, as I said, if I read some of my theology books that are on my shelf, which I have quite a few. Not only that, I have uh, theology books that are online, right here in commentary form. I wonder, and I haven't done this yet, but have they included what Christ is doing for the preparation of this new dispensation, the church and all of that? Preparing these disciples, have they included that as the finished work of Christ? Because it ought to be included. Christ did it. He says, verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Well, when Christ says that, part of the work that the Father gave him to do was not only calling out those disciples, as we discussed earlier, but also providing them information that was needed for them to be the foundation of the church in this new dispensation. So it's part of the finished work. I wonder if other theologians have, point, have, have been able to point that out as well. Maybe I'll take a look sometime when I have the, uh, the urge to do so.
But then verse five, and now father glorify me in your presence with the glory I have with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have, everything you have given me comes from you. Right? This, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them, and they knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. See, so this is part of this four through eight, this John 17, four through eight, this is part of the work that Christ was scheduled or slated to do. Commissioned, you could even use that word. Uh, so when Christ in 17, nine, is this a special group or is this a special group? Verse nine, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. For they are, for they are yours. I mean, that is a unique verse. And when we get to that, we're going to take time for that as well. But just in briefly reading the context, you can see that these are, this is a special group. And I'm hoping you see that and you don't try to place these verses in some sort of uh, place where um, we know or something. You know, there's information that we need to certainly come to the knowledge of, but this is a special group, and this is special knowledge for these disciples. Back to our notes. Point number C. We could say then that they were still ignorant of many things at this point. But Jesus and the Father are satisfied. And when we say they were ignorant, right, now they know. Well, what do they know? Are, we, are they supposed to give us a dissertation on the church, on the mystery, on the understanding that uh, we have in all the epistles? No. However, they are, are going to be a part of establishing and documenting that information. And this is interesting to note that when we had the law, right? When God gave the law on Mount Sinai, he uh, instructed them to write it in a book, right? So this is where we have not only God's word, and this is the first we have of God's word, but we have it in writing. We have the documentation. We us today can go back and review what the previous revelation was to that God gave at Mount Sinai. And what that previous revelation is not just, oh, let me tell you about what the law says. That previous revelation stretches back all the way to the creation of the universe. Whenever God speaks is relevant. God is not just like some other man who has the same experiences or maybe differing a little bit here and there of us. God is the one who created all things. Whenever he speaks, he's the eternal one. We should be sitting up paying attention because he's got something to tell us. That's how we could see this. So, yeah, the disciples were ignorant of many things, but they came to the knowledge of it. Why? Because the spirit of truth. And the scripture says that. I'll just read it in John 16, 12. That's part of uh, 
the understanding there. John 16 and 12 says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. They couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle all of the things that pertained to this new age. Why couldn't they handle it? Because the orientation was Israel. They were Jews. You're going to take Jews and tell them there's going to be some new thing going on. And there had to be a lot of God demonstrating this by signs and wonders and miracles. And, and not only for the disciples, but he did it. Christ did all this stuff to help them understand that, yes, he even had a platform to tell them the information he told them. But after that, the disciples, Peter did signs, wonders, and miracles. Other disciples did as well. And now they were apostles, but it was important because people needed to know that God is in this thing. This is not just some philosophy that we are discussing or, um, yeah, we came up with a new way to think about this. No, this is God demonstrating that this is his way. And we need to be able to stand on that as truth. So people often criticize us because they say, well, you think miracles signs and wonders have ceased, right? That this is, you think that, that God can't do this and, and he can't allow us to speak in tongues and all of the temper, you, you think there are temporary gifts and this and that. Well, we do, first of all, we do believe in signs, wonders, and miracles. Otherwise, God couldn't have established and documented the word of God. In every place where God shows up, he lets us know he's there when he has something to tell us. And we can depend on that. We can trust in that. And there's going to be signs, wonders, and miracles again when the church is raptured and God is going to establish himself again in the earth through the nation Israel. You're going to see a lot more signs, wonders, and miracles again. And what are you to know from that? You're to know from that God got something to say. And that's going to happen. Yeah, we're going to leave in the rapture. It's going to be something. And, and the world's going to left, be left in a tailspin. So it is, it is interesting. Yes, it was, we're talking about the disciples. Now they know. So even though they know, they were still ignorant about many things. And the spirit of truth is going to be on board to lead and guide them into all truth. They didn't have to worry. Oh, you know, it's a whole lot for us to figure out. Uh, how are we going to figure out that, you know, sort it all out between Jews and Gentiles? How are we going to do all that? Well, the Spirit of Truth is going to handle that. Don't you worry. How are we going to sort it out? Uh, who, you know, what the church is? What kind of entity? Are we under the law? Are we not under the law? What, what, how are we going to function? What is our purpose? Don't worry. The Spirit of Truth will figure it all out. And he knows exactly the, the, the deep things of the Father, and he's going to make those things known to us. We don't have to figure that out. God has already done that for us. All we have to do is sit there, be receptive, and follow. That's it. Point D, we're moving forward in our notes. So this knowledge is not about salvation. We should just make that point, right? Because so many people have um, associated the things that are said in these, in this discourse, with just simply salvation, you know, 
So I have to say it, right? I have to make sure at least we know that it's not about salvation. They were already saved according to Jesus, all but Judas Iscariot. And if we have these verses, you know, these are the documentation. If you had known where you could find this information, it's John 66, uh, John 66, John 6, verse 66 to 71. Let's, let's, let's briefly look at that. We'll, we'll go quickly because there's a lot of verses here. We do have some, some thought here that we, we might want to glean. John 6, the reason why I went back to 66 so you can pick up some of the context. From this time, many of his disciples, hold on, Make this a little bigger. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. 67. You do not want to leave too, do you? And he's talking to the 12. Verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Verse 70. Then Jesus replied, have I, not cho- have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. And then in verse 71, it's clear. He meant Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. So he called him a devil. Peter confessed that he believed And Jesus said, yeah, yeah, that's true. But one of you is a devil. One of you is an adversary. One of you is against that thinking. And it's Judas. And he was going to betray him. And then going to to 13, I believe, is um, the next thought of it. 21 through 28. So this is John 13, 21 through 28. Again, I backed up so we can see the context. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple, this disciple is John, by the way, and asked and said, ask him, which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him, and so Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, so some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. So I just wanted to convey, and I went overboard a little bit, what is meant here by now they know. It's not about salvation. They they were already saved. And all except Judas, who uh, played a role in the betrayal of Jesus Christ, which led to the events that ensued where Christ did end up on the cross. 
And that was the platform for God to impute the sins of the world to Christ and judge them. Christ called it the cup. Let this cup pass from me. If, if I have to drink it, okay, but then it's your will. Nevertheless, let your will be done, right? It, it, Christ used the metaphor of him drinking the cup. And what was he talking about? He's talking about the sins of the world. So let's continue in our notes. Now they know, and this is point number two, that everything you have given me comes from you. And so the first point here is Jesus came to reveal the Father. Right? Uh, so if we talk about... Um, oh, did I skip one? Yeah, I think I skipped... I skipped point E in the previous. And, and the question was, what do they know? Because uh, we were focused on now they know. And I, and I, I would usually always ask the question and maybe... Uh, appropriate or not, but the question is, what did they know? What did they know? And John sixteen thirty, I might as well read that because in in the context there are some things that they know in John sixteen verse thirty. Let's just see what they say after this. Now we can see that you know all things, and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. So when they say came from God, when they know that that means the Father. That's what they understand. They're saying from God. They know. They understand. This makes us believe that you came from God. Now we can see and now we know that you know all things and all these questions we're asking. But now I... As I went through these verses, I think they were some, I think they understood a lot in when Jesus told them in John 14. I think they understood a lot there. They understood about the spirit of truth. But I think they got a little confused with this, in a little while you will see me, and then a little while later you won't see me. And So they were a little confused about that. But then Jesus clarified. He made it clear. Gave a couple of analogies for them they got it and then I think after that it was done they pretty much understood they had the knowledge right, of what was needed of them for the establishment of the church age so the verse in 1630 I'm sort of throwing it out there but I think they had already understood this uh oh do hear some background noise let's see if we can Make sure we understand what that is. Oh, okay. I'm just going to mute the mic. So anyway, we're going on in our notes. And let's do that. Okay. So this is um, point number two, that everything you have given me comes from you. So Jesus came to reveal the Father. He did not come on his own. So there's a couple thoughts about what they did know and why do I use these verses about what they they know because that everything you have given me comes from you is sort of a general statement that Jesus is praying to the father he knows what it means the father knows what it means but we don't have specifics about what it means about what they know 
what did I know? That everything you have given me comes from you, right? So that, but then, so I'm just breaking down a little bit about why Jesus came. He came to reveal the Father. He did not come on his own. So John 1, 18 and 3, 35, there's a couple passages of scripture that might help us understand that. And the first one is John 1, 18, which we already have covered. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. And it says, has made him known. I mean, I think that's an appropriate verse to say everything that about the Father. Now, not only do they know that everything about who this Father is, this is part of the plan. The Father is key to our understanding about the eternal purpose. And... If Jesus is the one that makes him known, that reveals that, well, he introduced the disciples to the Father. And now they know. This is part of it. And then there's John 3, 35, which says, right before our verse that we love, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life and so forth. But the verse 35 says, the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hand. So now they know this, right? And this is literally what, why I give that. Because everything you have given me comes from you. This is Christ talking. Everything he has comes from you. The disciples know that. And that's part of their understanding now about what Jesus came to do and the work that he did and is preparing them for in the future. Point B, they understood Jesus was special from the miracle signs and wonders. So I, when I look at that, I, and I always use, I love the words of Nicodemus. This is John 3, 2, because even though Nicodemus was an unbeliever, but apparently he was able to see this particular point. This is the, this is the point. He came to Jesus at night uh, and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. When he said, we and others with him know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Not only, so it's not just the fact that he came from God, but he was a teacher. That's important because they were listening to him. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, if, Nick, if Jesus was, was talking and did not perform these signs and wonders like we were talking about, it could just be Jesus' opinion. It could just be his take on things. But no, it wasn't that. God was behind the words of Jesus. God was behind what Jesus presented when he came, what his platform was. And that's what we ought to know. And that's what Nicodemus is recognizing. No one could do, perform the signs of wonders you were doing if God were not with him. So we know that obviously God is in this what you're saying. We know you're a teacher from God. We know that you have something to say from God because God has demonstrated it by signs, wonders, and miracles, what we discussed earlier briefly. So hopefully you understand that's where we're going here with those verses. That's John 3, 2. And then 4, 34. If we're landing in John 4, we know we're talking about the woman at the well. 434, Jesus says, my food, 
you could use that as motivation because food is a strong motivation. And that goes back to 432. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Uh, but 434 says, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This is exactly, remember, the work of Jesus doesn't just include the fact that he's going to have to perform, you know, uh, have righteousness before the Father, that he was going to obey the law, please the Father in every respect, but that he would be uh, judged for the sins of the world and the Father would be satisfied with that judgment. And But there's more than that. It's this preparation of revealing the Father to these disciples as well that is a part of Jesus's work that he had to finish. So that's wanted to make sure we understand that point. And that was Christ's motivation. Even early on in his ministry, he when he got that group together, he was teaching, revealing the Father, and demonstrating that by signs, wonders, and miracles. These are important ways to think about it. Point C, the works of Jesus were the Father's works revealed in Jesus' own words. So even if we, did, if we didn't have these verses, then we wouldn't be able to associate them. So look at this, John 12, 47 through 50. We'll take a look at that. John 12, 47 through 50. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. They are the very words I have spoken. Will con- uh, the very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me has commanded me uh, to say all that I have spoken. Now, before we get to this, so many points in here, but look how important the words of Jesus are. Look at verse 48 again. Go back to verse 48. Just look how important the words of Jesus are. The words that Jesus spoke have such weight that if a person rejects them, they might show, they didn't say might, they will show up at the last great white throne judgment in the last day. That's how important Jesus' words are here. And if you reject him, fast forward to the great last white throne judgment. That's the importance of the words of Jesus. That's it. Tell me. If I told you something that I'm telling you is important, that's nothing. Jesus is saying, my words I have spoken will condemn them in the last day if they reject it. That's how important these words are. For I did not speak on my own, in verse 49, but the Father who commanded me to say all that I have spoken. Jesus is standing there speaking the words, but he's confessing to you, these aren't my words. These are the Father's plan. These words come from him. Even about the, obviously here is the importance of who Jesus is. He's the very object of, of of salvation, right? 
And we can't equivocate about that. No other name given among men whereby we must be saved. So then he goes and he says, I know that his, his commands lead to eternal life. So the Father is telling everybody to believe in the Son through Jesus. So whatever I say, Jesus says, in, at the verse 50, it's just, I can say exactly, is just what the Father has told me to say. So, so the Father is the one behind here. So we need to make sure we understand that. Because if, if we didn't understand it, Jesus is telling us how important it is that we do understand that it is the Father. It's not just him saying this. And then if we go to 14, John chapter 14, and there's this verse. Uh, we could go through 8 to 11, which is, um, I'll just read it. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you, uh, among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? And here it is. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father. And here's the relationship that Jesus has with the Father. He's living in me, who is doing the work. Now, even though he's saying the words, the words are part of the work that Jesus needs to finish. You see what I'm saying? So, so revealing, it's revealing that Jesus not only allowed the Father to use him, that's part of the work that Jesus needs to finish. Well, what does the Father has to have to say? Well, he's all this whole discourse that we've been reading is the Father through the person of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants us to know. And this is part of Jesus allowing the Father to manifest, to live in him. And what is he calling it? This is interesting because... This verse was, is puzzling a little bit because in, this is John 14, 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in, Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me. And this last phrase, who is doing the work? You would think if you would tie this last phrase to the first part of this sentence, it would say, who is speaking the words? Who is, but he says, who is doing his work? So, so part of allow, Jesus doing the work or finishing the work the Father gave him to do is to allow the Father to do his work in Jesus. Verse 11, believe me when I say, I am, I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe. In other words, if you don't believe that, I know you don't believe that because your brows are all wrinkled up. I know you don't believe it. I have to emphasize this. Then believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So the works themselves, in other words, it goes back to what Nicodemus said. Well, we know that you're from God because nobody can do the things you're doing. But Jesus is saying, the works that 
were in me, those miracle signs and wonders, those were from the Father too. That's what we ought to know. Not just the words. If you don't believe the words I'm telling you, I know that, but believe on the evidence of the words, the works themselves. So that goes back to what I was showing you in Nicodemus. It's not just, well, we know you, you got to be from God, but he says you are a teacher from God. And how do we know? Because God is behind it. And how do we know that Jesus is, is doing all this stuff? Because of the works. Jesus said, well, if you don't believe the words I'm telling you, at least you know one thing. You know that I've been doing miracle after miracle after sign after wonder after miracle after day after day after day. You know. If Nicodemus knew, and he wasn't even with Christ all the time, what do you think the disciples had an understanding of? They knew for sure that Jesus did miraculous signs and wonders. They, and they were amazed. Even though they saw it daily, they were amazed. John said he couldn't even write, if, if he were to tell you all the things that Jesus had done, he said there would not be enough books to contain it in the world. Because it was that, the volume of what Jesus did was so much that it was overwhelming. It wasn't even like, well, was he the Messiah? Was he or was he not? It was overwhelming that he was the Messiah, that he was coming from God, and you needed to pay attention to him. Overwhelming. So, and then there's, if we skip down to verse 24, 24, Jesus says this, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words I hear, are, I'm sorry, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Now, the words he just spoke, well, he's been telling them all along. It's the Father. It's the Father's telling me these words, and I'm just, I'm just the, the one telling them to you. But it's the Father. Right? So the words he just spoke, is, if we were looking in an immediate context, on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps him, he's the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And then he said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. And he Follows that up with verse 24. Anyone who does not love me, well, they won't obey my teachings. The words you are hearing, these words, they belong to the Father who sent me. That's what we need to understand, how, how Jesus developed this. Now, I see our time is moving forward, so I'm going to keep going because I know, I know we're running out of time. So that everything you have given me comes from you. That's what we're focused on. Back to the notes, point D. Washing the disciples' feet and its unique meaning. This is John 13, 3 through 20. There's a lot of verses here. Again, the reason I brought in all these verses was for the context of it all. I'm going to quickly go through this just to get down to the last verses here. John 13, Jesus knew that the Father, this is why I bring it in, he, the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. 
So this is Jesus giving us an overview. Uh, you know, John is giving us overview of what was going on inside of Jesus at the time. Literally, there was no way John could have known this, it, it, except for, were it not for, the spirit of truth revealing these things. How do we know? What, what was his demeanor? What was he thinking? Well, John, from the spirit of truth, is telling us. He didn't say, Jesus might have knew. He said, no, Jesus knew this. This is what he was thinking, okay? That's how precise the spirit of truth, the teaching is. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with this towel that he had wrapped around him. See the picture that is painted? Verse 6, came Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. Later, you will understand. What, what later are we talking about? <coughs> Excuse me. Later is later when you all are going to be able to learn something from this lesson. Let's see when the later is. I could tell you when the later is because I've read this already. So probably could you, right? Because we've been over this. This is a review for us. Anyway, later, you will understand. Didn't say you might, you will get it. Okay? So Peter said, no. Mm -mm. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. <clears throat> In other words, you are saying you don't want to even be a disciple or later to become an apostle. Then the Lord then Lord Simon Peter replied, because that's not what Peter wanted. Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I think Peter's being a little facetious here, right? Just, Lord, just, if that's the case, wash me thoroughly, everything. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you all are clean. Except, though not every one of you. He's talking about Judas. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said, not every one of you was clean. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put, his clothes, he put on his clothes and returned to his place at the table. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I have, that I, the Lord, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Here he's getting into the point of it all. He's telling us what it's all about. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. And this verse 20 is the key. 
Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. These, we're seeing the significance of what Jesus was saying to those disciples about washing feet, serving one another in love, being devoted to the plan, to the mission, and accepting the words of the Father. This is, Jesus says, now now we know that everything that you have given me comes from you. See, they get it now. Later, they get it. They understand the lesson from what Jesus was telling them about the Father's plan. Point E, we're moving forward. The disciples watched Jesus closely through all the miracle signs and wonders, and they also heard Jesus credit the Father for everything. So as, as all this was happening, and there were some miraculous things that were going on, Jesus correctly gave the credit, the praise for what was done to the Father. That's important, that we recognize where what we have and and uh, you know as i talk about it, no one righteous no one understands but how do we understand this information well it's the spirit of truth that's how we need to credit uh, the source and even the spirit of truth when we say that it's true he's the one who leads and guides but where does he get the information he gets it from jesus but where did jesus get the information he gets it from the father all of that we cover and this is point f Jesus credits everything he has to the Father. That's John 16, 14, and 15. So it says it like this, or he says it like this. He will glorify me. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Because he will take from me that, uh, that he, me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Let's read that again. It sounds a little confusing here. He will glorify me. It is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So all that belongs to the Father is mine. The Father gave everything to the Son. So where did Christ get it? He got it from the Father. Is he... Coveting the fact that he has this information? No, he's open and transparent. Saying, well, no, the information, yeah, it's mine. Because the Father gave it to me. It's mine, but I got it from the Father. That was part of the plan that the Father put place everything in the Son. That's part of it. And he's being transparent. Point G, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's the title that we have. And we already saw that in John 1.18 where he says no one has ever seen the Father. Right? No, really, it means known the Father, which we know. We saw that in the verse. And so, but Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So we can see the Father if we look at Jesus. If we look and see what Jesus is saying, we can hear the Father's words. If we watch and see what Jesus is doing, we can see the Father's works that are being performed through him. And that's what Colossians 1.15 says. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the visible of the invisible. 
hope that I'm not trying to make that sound confusing. I'm trying to make it sound clear that Jesus is the visible person. He's the tangible, really. When we look at the, the humanity of Christ or the man Christ Jesus, what we're seeing is not only is he a man, but we see the father. We see the special relationship that he has with the father, whereby the father was able to manifest in him. We call it mutual possession, and that's how it works. That's the dynamics. Those are the dynamics, I should say, that we have in this particular age. Paul said it. If we go full circle, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead, but, uh, but I'm alive. Christ lives in me. Life I live in the flesh, the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So point H, the whole plan now revealed is said to be the Father's eternal purpose. It's the whole of it. If we think about it, that's it. When we say it's the Father's eternal purpose, that's not just his eternal purpose for now, that he had an eternal purpose when Israel was going on. That was a different eternal purpose. And now, when before that, it was nothing but Gentiles and Adam and Eve or pre, pre-flood and or post-flood. There was no... Father's eternal purpose for all ages, for all dispensations, is to bring many sons into glory. It was hid in God. He didn't reveal it at a, when it first, when he had it from eternity past. He didn't reveal it because it wasn't time. But everything he did was in support of his eternal purpose. So that's how we ought to see this. It's not like his eternal purpose began at a certain point. It began before time began, before the creation of the world. This is the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. So we're going to have to stop at this juncture. And, but keep keeping with the context of where we are, we will continue this next week. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. What an honor and privilege it is to come to know that we are a part of something huge, something big, something this world would not readily understand or acknowledge. But you have shown us this through the spirit of truth, through the means, the communication means that you have. You have given us this information, and we know it now. And just like Christ said it was his, it is ours now that we know what you've done for us, who we are in Christ, and the plan. We thank you for the revelation of it. And we pray that we will have the humility, that we will have the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we can know you better. We will understand better as we continue to perfect our walk and to to come into the knowledge of the truth and to learn more and more of your glorious truth that is uh, about us, the church. We thank you for those who who assembled themselves here and listened. We pray for those who may listen to this message beyond us, wherever it may go. 
We pray, Father, that your Spirit will continue to convict us, to show us the way. All this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Amen.